Okay, uh, everybody hear me okay now? So I want to start this morning by making some general statements that probably most of us can feel we could agree with in spite of the fact that we come from very different backgrounds, have experienced so many different things. So let me just start with a series of statements. Uh, first of all, probably most of us would acknowledge that no matter how long we have sought to understand the person, the work of God, that, that we only have just a fragment of understanding of this great being. Uh, uh, secondly, let me add to that, that I think most of us would agree that when you look at all world religions, all world religions, if you put them together, are kind of similar in that you look into the core and they're kind of about being a more loving person and being good. Let me go further. I think that most of us would probably agree that even though world religions would have differing names for God, they're probably knowingly and unknowingly seeking the one true God, just calling that God by different names. And then finally, I think we'd all agree that our paths toward this God are, are quite different, quite diverse. We, we take different paths, but we're kind of knowingly and unknowingly seeking the ones and the same God, and it, we kind of get funneled in closer uh, toward meeting and encountering that God. Now, the only problem with this is that everything I've just said to you is an absolute lie. Let it sink in. Nothing that I just said is accurate. Nothing that I just said checks out with what the Scripture clearly and redundantly teaches. The one revelation, the one compelling revelation, backed by gads, tons of evidence, that the one and true living God has given a comprehensive revelation of himself. It is contained in this book we call the Bible, which is not one book, but it's 66 individual books. And that that God has made the truth about himself very, very clear. Let me give you an example. Just, just look at some statements that Jesus himself made about himself to start us out with. Claims of Jesus, John 8, 12. He said, I am the exclusively the light of the world, meaning if you want to know the truth about God and the truth about life and the truth about reality, he's the source of that truth. He's the resurrector of the dead. He claimed that he's the one that will bring people back from the dead to be resurrected. He claimed to be the judge of all, that every human being and every angel would stand before him for judgment. He claimed in John 5, 23 to be the one that should be worshipped as God. He said, as the Father is honored, so should you honor me. He says in John 14, 6, he is exclusively the way, not many ways, the way, the truth, the life. Luke 5, 24, he said, he is the one that has the power to forgive sins. And in John 10, 27, 28, he has the power to give eternal life. Elsewhere in the New Testament, it says comprehensively, Colossians 1, 19, 2, 9, it says that all the fullness of God dwells in Christ in a physical form. In other words, God is saying, in order for me to make myself known to you, I have come down, taken on human form, so that you can know me through and through. I, I, I cringe when I hear people say things like, well, God is this mysterious being. He's too vast to, to be understood. We, we would be arrogant to think that we understand him. That would be true unless he has worked hard to reveal himself and make himself known. And the testimony of Scripture is just that true. Now, I want to go back to that series of statements I opened with. I was tempted to show it again on the screen because I want to ask you this question. How did you do? Did you believe those statements that I initially made or were you uncomfortable? And if you were uncomfortable with the statements, how uncomfortable were you? Now, I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand. But what I want to say is this. The degree of discomfort or lack thereof is the degree of how vulnerable you will be to being deceived. We have to understand that the Bible is unique. It, it gives what we call predictive prophecy. About one-third of it is predictive prophecy. It, it is this God that is outside of time, and he predicts certain things well in advance, and he lays them out where they can be specifically examined. Things about nations, for example. One, one quick one. 
He said that the nation of Israel would be scattered all over the world. They were in 70 AD. And then he said in the last days, in the times when he was about to wrap up human history, they would be regathered to their name. Well, they ceased to exist as a nation for 1,878 years. It looked ridiculous, the Bible predicting they would be regathered again as a nation. But in 1948, May 14th, I believe it was, 1948, they were reborn as a nation. The Bible predicted they would regain their capital, Jerusalem, 1967, Six-Day War. They regained their capital. The Bible speaks specifically about events before they take place. No other religious writing on the planet does that. Even the ones that do it in some small way, it is vague, whereas the Bible is very specific. So how vulnerable are you and I to being deceived. You see, everything that I said in his first statements, all that stuff about God is too vast a being to be fully comprehended, and you know, all religions are at core the same, and you've heard all this dribble before, I'm sure. They're just about doing good and loving people, and you know, we're all seeking God, we're all going on different paths, but we funnel in towards somewhere. It just sounds so enticing, didn't it? And it sounded so good and so tolerant the problem was, it was all a lie. It was all spiritual-sounding dribble that contradicts the truth that God has redundantly revealed and comprehensively revealed in his word. So I'm going to be honest with you about something. The entire series called Steadfast that I'm in right now, and I am in a series called Steadfast. This is the fifth message in the series. Last, or next week will be the last one in the series. The thing that God tapped me for in this series was the concern with who we are in time because we are a unique generation we we are perhaps the unique generation in that this the scripture has always said that there would come a time when God would intervene once again in human history in a very physical way, in a very dramatic way, that he would kind of wind things up and reset things aright. So some generation inevitably was going to be that generation that sees this intervention of God where he sets things aright. Sooner or later, it was going to be somebody. And I have a bias that I've shared multiple times, and I will again, and I can give you multiple reasons why it's not fanaticism, but it's, it's a matter of just looking at specific Bible prophecies and facts of our time that are so different. We, we're like the fish in, in the in the goldfish bowl we don't know how different we are we've just always been in the goldfish bowl the fact that you can flip a switch and light comes on makes you and I so different than 98% of the people that ever lived and died on planet earth we, we don't know how different we are so my bias is that we are likely to be the generation to see this culmination of the ages and the intervention of God in the person of Christ, his second coming I'm talking about, my bias is, based on years of studying scripture, watching world events, is that we are likely to be the generation to encounter that. And one of the things I know is that the scripture warns that that generation is going to face a temptation to not remain steadfast in their loyalty and in their faithfulness to Christ. That there's going to be temptations, there's going to be trials, there's going to be deception of the sort that we, we can hardly imagine. Uh, the kind of deception that, think of the most far-fetched science fiction movie you've ever seen, that's the kind of deception we are likely to see, live through, and perhaps remain steadfast through. So we're in a series called Steadfast, and each week I've kind of given, given you these synonyms what am I talking about? Steadfast. It's being consistent, faithful, devoted, unshakable, unstoppable, immovable, particularly you that are followers of Christ, that you and I will be unshakable, unstoppable, immovable in our loyalty to Christ, regardless of circumstances, regardless of change, regardless of teachings, that we will know the truth, hold fast to the truth, even when multitudes of churches, perhaps, are starting to lean away from the truth in order to be relevant and tolerant we say I will stay unfaithful to the word of God and the will of God so today we're going to deal with this subject educational dangers to steadfastness we live in a climate unlike any again that's ever been on the planet in that we are educated we are taught we are informed or misinformed 
almost constantly. Every commercial that you and I ever see, every TV show that we ever watch, every movie, everything on our internets, I mean, we're constantly being bombarded by information. We are the first age or the first group of people that have ever lived in an age where that is true. And so we're being educated almost constantly. Now, the education that we get from our society, for the most part, is a very simple theme. The theme is this, that if God exists at all, he's not significant. You just kind of pick and choose. It's, it's like a spiritual smorgasbord. You pick whatever version of God you like because he's for you. He, he, he's a luxury. He's not a real being. He's not to be taken significantly. So whatever floats your boat, you just kind of concoct a, a version of God and whatever you want. And if you don't want any God at all, that's cool too. That's the message our society gives again and again. That's this is the message that our leaders and our technological communicators give again and again, that if God's there at all, he doesn't really matter very much because no one actually lives as though he has given his word or will. I mean, certainly the world leaders don't sit down and say, okay, before we have this meeting of the G20, let's consider what the word of God says and the will of God. Well, you know, that's laughable. They don't think that way. So we're being educated in a more or less atheistic, agnostic perspective on life. Constantly, constantly. Now, you may be way beyond that because perhaps the majority of us here have already made our decision in a world where everybody's following somebody, either ourself with all of our fallibilities and mistakes, we're either following ourselves or some other person we consider wiser than us, or like most of us, I hope, we have decided let the world follow who it will. I'm putting my trust in Christ and I'm going to follow him fully and I'm following him freely. He's won my heart. He's won my trust and I'm going to follow him forever. That is what it means to be a Christian. If you are sitting here today and you are not sure whether you are a Christian or not, a Christian is one that puts their trust in God as he has revealed himself in Jesus Christ, as he has revealed his sacrificial love for us by dying on the cross to rescue us from our sins. It is when you put your trust in him and now you are freely following him. And let me explain what that means. When I put my trust in Christ, the evidence, the evidence will be, I will now want to know what I once did not know. I will want to know his will for life. I want to know his design. I want to know the laws of my being and I'm going to go to him. I'm going to chase down that information and the only place that he's put it is in his word. So I'm going to become a student of his word. I'm going to sit at the feet of my creator for the rest of my days learning his will learning his word not because I'm afraid not because I hope to win some prize but because he has won my trust he loves me more than I love myself he knows what's best and wants what's best so a Christian is one that because of their trust in Christ they follow him but they're following him freely because he He's won their affection. He's won our trust. And we're following him fully. When he says it's wrong, I know it's wrong. When he says it's right, I know it's right. When he says learn it, I'm going to learn it. When he says stop it, I'm going to stop it. Because I trust him more than I trust myself. Listen, you can't be a real Christian and not have dramatic ongoing life change. It is, it is not an academic exercise. It is not a matter of just believing certain facts about God. It is, it is about taking those truths so to heart that they start to modify each and every aspect of our lives. You everybody know what a Christian is now? You know what it is to be a Christian? If you ever had any doubts in your mind, if you're a Christian or not, if you've put your trust in Christ and you're following him, you're a Christian. And you're in a developmental journey, which we, we then start to grow. We start to become the Christ-like version of ourselves that God always intended. And that can be a messy, bumpy journey. Okay? All right. So we're going to look at educational dangers to steadfastness. It, it is the messaging. Uh, we, we, we have this interesting term that we've developed since the spy age, the Cold War age. We, we use this term misinformation or disinformation. And so if you think about the word, information is supposed to inform us about reality, about the truth. But we now live in a world where disinformation is given. In other words, we're given information to mislead us, to deceive us, instead of actually inform us to the truth. Well, there are spiritual forces that though we cannot see them yet, yet with our eyes are very real. And they also 
have an intention to deceive us. They, they thrive on disinformation, if you want to look at that. But I wish I could tell you it was just the spiritual forces that are antagonistic to God. But here's the sad truth. A lot of the disinformation, destructive disinformation, actually comes right from within churches. Sometimes well-meaning and sometimes not well-meaning uh, individuals. So we're, we're going to start there. Educational dangers to steadfastness. Dangers from inside of God's church. And I wish I didn't have to even deal with this part, but it's true. It's true. So let's look at a portion of scripture from 2 Peter. 2 Peter chapter 2, verse 1. Peter, under the inspiration led by the Spirit of God, he pens these words. He says, false prophets appeared in the past among the people, meaning the Old Testament people. And in the same way, false what? Teachers. Notice he didn't say prophets. Why? Because the scripture was being completed in Peter's day. The scripture was finally completed in AD 96. There is nothing that has been added. Any group that comes along saying that they are getting a direct word from God are not to be trusted. Uh, we, we have that phenomenon with uh, Mormonism. You know, this guy named Joseph Smith comes along. He claims that he's given these, you know, gla special glasses to read these golden tablets, a revelation by an angel called Moroni or Moroni, depending on how you want to, you know, accent it. So out of it comes a whole new revelation of Jesus Christ about these Indian tribal cultures that lived on the American continent, albeit archaeologists have never found a trace of any of them. So Paul the Apostle, he says in a book called Galatians chapter 1, verse 8, 9, he says, listen, he says, if anybody comes to you and gives a different message about Christ, he says, even if it's an angel from heaven, the Apostle Paul says, let that individual be accursed or condemned, eternally condemned. So we're, we're not to just take the messaging because it's accompanied by supernatural activity. But Peter says, unfortunately, there were false teachers will, he didn't say maybe, will appear among you, meaning inside the church. Now, what will they do? They will bring destructive, untrue doctrines. Doctrines are just teachings. Now, I want to seed something in your heart. Bad teaching, false teaching will always sooner or later bring damage to your soul, to your life, to your capacity for joy, to your capacity for peace, to your capacity for love. You don't always feel it when it's happening. It might actually feel good. Some of the teaching may initially feel good because it goes along with something you want. We have a movement today toward uh, this ultra-tolerance that counters the designs that God have made for men and women in particular. And some churches are yielding to this and they're affirming people in destructive ways which makes the person initially feel really good about themselves because some church is affirming something they want to do that God says they should not be doing or thinking. But they're affirming them for a while to destroy them forever. How many of you are sick of the commercials about Camp Lejeune? You, you with me? <laughs> uh, but, but it's an interesting circumstance. I, I actually know, a, um, it's a long time. I, I had a girlfriend, and, and, and uh, I actually did more than one in my life. But, uh, <laughs> but anyway, I was a non-Christian then, and I was not a very good guy, and I was one of these kind of guys. I wanted her to stay at home while I went out and partied and met, hoped to meet yet another girlfriend, you know. So anyway... One, one, one weekend, I called her house, and her mom answered, and I said, where's Carolyn? She said, oh, she left with Steve Fisher. Uh, Steve Fisher? I said, who's Steve Fisher? Oh, he's a captain in the Marines. She's moving down to Camp Lejeune. <laughs> I'm like, what? What? She got the last laugh on me, but she was at Camp Lejeune <laughs> drinking that bad water. <laughs> Uh, but, but okay, so, so here's the thing. While generation after generation was at Camp Lejeune drinking that bad water, that poison water, they didn't know it was hurting them. They, they had no notion whatsoever that the water was hurting them. Now, they may have some sort of a very serious disease right now. So now it comes out that damage was being done all along, but they didn't understand it. And I'm going to tell you, they can get all the lawsuits and win all the prize money that you can, you can offer somebody, but when you're sick and when you're dying, that money doesn't mean an awful lot. But here's my point. Sometimes when God says in his word that certain things are sin, always we should, the red lights are going, 
in our head that says, okay, my God loves me. He created me. He designed me. He knows what's best and wants what's best. If he calls something sin, even though I don't understand it, he does understand it. He knows the ramifications. Therefore, whether I can see how it does damage right now or not, I'm going to trust him instead of trusting my desires. They were drinking the water. They were being damaged. They had no clue until later on. And that's the way sin often operates. We think of sin too much these days in terms of punishment. It's like, oh, oh, I just don't want to be punished for my sin, or I don't want God angry at me. When God calls something sin, it's a loving father saying, listen, I love you. I want your highest and best, but you cannot experience your highest and best if you do this. You can experience your highest and best if you do that, which is what he calls the way of rightness or righteousness. So anyway, he says these False teachers are going to bring in destructive untrue doctrines. False teaching always, always, sooner or later, hurts an individual, hurts their spirit, hurts their soul, hurts their, their functional daily life sooner or later. Even so, many will follow their what kind of ways? So this gives a hint. These teachers were, were immoral in their own lifestyle. If you read the rest of 2 Peter, he talks a little bit more about them. So essentially what it sounds like these teachers were doing, it sounds like early Gnosticism. Uh, the scripture tried to combat Gnosticism in the book of Colossians, in the book of 2 Peter, in the book of 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John, in the book of Jude. Uh, it was a movement that, that kind of had extremes, but one of its extremes was, hey, it doesn't matter how much sin you do in your body because your body doesn't matter. It only matters about your soul, your spirit. So go on and sin because when you sin, the more you sin and the more God forgives you, that just makes God look really good. So go on and sin so he can keep forgiving you. It doesn't really matter. It sounds as if that was what was going on there. There are churches that still teach this stuff. They, they make... The law of God sound like something that's awful. No, it's not. It's for our highest well-being and good. It's, it's the laws of our being. And when we violate them, we knowingly or unknowingly do damage to ourselves. So many will follow their immoral ways. In their, what's the word? Greed. These false teachers will make profit of telling you made-up stories. How many of you are familiar with what we call the prosperity gospel, the prosperity movement? Okay. It's a movie. You can turn on TV and you can find these characters on the radio all the time. These teachers essentially teach something like this. It's kind of funny because they're greedy, but they trap other people in their greed. What they do is they say this. They say, listen, God wants you healthy, wealthy, and wise. You shouldn't be sick a day in your life. You should have bucket loads of money. You should have everything you want in life. So you just need to name it, claim it. Your faith is a creative force. You can have whatever you want. Uh, and, and if you will plant a seed... A seed, and they mean money. <laughs> you plant a seed in my ministry, God will give you tenfold and maybe hundredfold return. So it's like, oh, wait a minute, wait a minute, let me do some calculations here. So I give God a dollar, I get a hundred dollars back. This sounds like it. So they are greedy, the teachers. They are wolves in sheep's clothing. Wolves feed off the sheep. Shepherds save and uh, guide and direct and protect the sheep. There is a difference. But these individuals, they, they bait people with greed and they make up these stories. And if you listen to these characters, they all have a story like, well, I knew this woman. She didn't have a penny in the world. And when she heard my ministry broadcast, she went out and she borrowed $1,000. And she seeded that whole $1,000 into my ministry. Don't you know she's a multimillionaire right now? Glory to God. Hallelujah. You know, this, is, <laughs> this is a kind of dribble these guys get away with so we could spend hours and days talking about many forms of false teaching there there's there's people believe it or not pastors and churches they don't really believe jesus was born of a virgin they don't really believe he rose from the dead they they don't really believe in what we call the supernatural at all and the supernatural it's not supernatural to god it's just that he understands physics on a level that we don't yet have the, the horsepower to understand but there's multiple, unfortunately, false teachings in churches. And all I can say is this. You should try to find a church that is willing to show you from the Scripture comprehensively, not pick and pluck, but over a comprehensive approach, that they are giving you the truth of God's message again and again and again, that there's evidence that their motives are pure, that they have some kind of a track record, some kind of history that shows that they have been faithful to God, faithful to his truth, 
um, that, that's the best that we can do. But at the end of the message, I'm going to tell you something better that you can, better that you can do for yourself to be sure. So let, let's go on. First, uh, First Timothy has one more warning. It says, now the Holy Spirit tells us clearly that in the what times? Last times. That's talking about the age uh, or the generation that's going to be alive when Christ returns, the last times. In the last times, some will turn away from the true faith. The, the series is called Steadfast. There is a question looming over every one of our heads. Will you, will I remain steadfast in my devotion to Christ? I've watched, I've got decades under my belt now watching people look like balls of fire in their enthusiasm for Christ and his kingdom and then they walk away and they start living lives that are so contradictory to the one that they once embraced so so we all have to be you know conscientious that there is inherent weakness in us so that we will be steadfast but it says the last time some will turn away from the true faith they will follow deceptive spirits and teachings that come from demons such as Mormonism and Joseph Smith and his golden tablets and Moroni the angel that gives this false gospel. Now that's just one example. I'm not picking on Mormons. I'm not saying they're bad people or anything like that. I'm just trying to give you something to uh, go on. But these, these deceptive spirits find individual humans through which to get their teachings for it. Now I, I want to show you something. It's a little bit oddball. I'm going to go through this quick. But I want you to understand where all world religions false religions okay because jesus is exclusively there's only one god that god has revealed himself in christ one god one way one truth one life which then means according to jesus the argument's not with me if you want to argue better argue with him he says he's the singular way he's the only one to be trusted which means every world religion is false other than following him so where do these religions come from let me show you a scripture Deuteronomy 8, verse 32. The Most High assigned nations their lands. Now, this goes all the way back. You better get that. It might be important. Um, <laughs> more importantly, it's driving me crazy. <laughs> uh, this passage goes all the way back to the division of nations in Genesis 10, and then in 11, the Tower of Babel, the start of languages. So this is way pre-Israel. Okay, because some of your Bibles are going to, going to use a different terminology, but anyway. The Most High assigned nations their lands. He determined where people should live. He assigned to each nation a what? A heavenly being. What's a heavenly being? Well, we would probably call them an angel. An angel. They are divine beings, but they're not God. They're, they're created beings. But he pictured this. He assigned to every nation when he's beings. Now, the evidence is in other scriptures, and it's, I can't go into it too deeply today, but that they were supposed to manage things in the nations the way that God wanted things managed. They were supposed to reveal the truth about God the way that God wanted himself revealed. But the evidence is a lot of these angels rebelled. Here we have an example. If you read this entire psalm, if I could just go to that. If you read this entire psalm, you, you will see that God is castigating these angels for misrepresenting him and not managing the nations the way that he wanted them to. But it comes down to this. God presides over the heaven's court. He pronounces judgment on what kind of beings? The heavenly beings. I say, you are gods. Notice the small g. They are divine beings, but they're not God. You are all children of the most high, direct creations of, of God. But you will die like what? He is taking from them their immortality. They had it, but their conduct uh, caused it to be taken from them. Listen, the scripture says in you know, Romans 6.23, it says the gift of God is everlasting life or immortality through Jesus Christ. We are not born immortal. <laughs> that, that, that's kind of a Greek teaching. It's not, it's not backed by the Bible at all. If you and I become immortals, it is because we have put our trust in Christ and now God can safely give us immortality because uh, we have our confidence, our reliance, our trust in Christ alone. Anyway, just wanted to give you a little something to think about that these nations, why they created all these false religions, it is these heavenly beings that were mismanaging these nations, misrepresenting God, and these heavenly beings want to, to feel worship. They have a misunderstanding of what worship is all about. I'm going to do a whole series on worship coming up in wintertime, uh, so I won't go into it now. Let me go on. 
This is a long quote. A new study from the Cultural Research Center at Arizona Christian University found that a staggering 62% of pastors don't have a what? Biblical worldview. In other words, they're not looking through the lens of Scripture and saying what's real, what's true. Uh, instead, they have a worldview of syncretism, the blending of ideas and applications from a variety of holistic worldviews into a unique but inconsistent combination that represents their personal what? Preferences. In other words, a little bit of this and a little bit of that mixed together with Christianity. Now, you and I meet people like this all the time. It is a popular trend, syncretism, that we tend to think, think like, well, hey, you know, everybody can't be wrong, so maybe a little bit of Hinduism, a little bit of Buddhism, a little bit of Islam, and a little bit of Christianity, and you kind of mix it all together. You've got all your bases covered. You're not going to offend any deity, and that's the safest route that, I, that you can find because you start looking at numbers and things like that. And so this is a common trend towards syncretism, the mixing of spirituality in the belief that that's the safest, most intelligent, most tolerant path. And on certain levels, it would certainly seem so. The only problem is, if, if there's only one real God, and that God has comprehensively revealed himself, offered himself, even sacrificially on a cross, and risen from the grave to prove that he is the one and the only, then looking elsewhere is problematic, and show, it shows some, some incorrigibility, perhaps, in the deepest parts of our soul. So let me go on. Second Thessalonians, we're still looking at deception within the church now. Second Thessalonians, Paul writing followers of Christ, living in the city of Thessalonica. He says, now in regard to the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and our gathering together to meet him. Okay, so, so let's make sure we all track him with this. So the subject is what? The coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, right? Are you with me? Am I making this up? You see it? Okay. The subject is the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. And when he comes, what happens? Our gathering together, right? Are you with me? Am I imposing a thought on you or is that what it says? Okay. All right. So in, in regard to our Lord Jesus Christ and our gathering together to him, don't, don't go to the next slide yet, um, to meet him. We ask you, brothers and sisters, now, we all know that even though we have reason to believe that we're living in, in the culminating age, we all know that the truth is Jesus could absolutely come at any time. He could come right now before the service ends, right? How many say that's right? Okay. Well, let, let's see. Let's see what Scripture says. All right, let's look at the rest of the verse. Let no one in any way, what is our word? Deceive or entrap you for that day will not, what does it say? Huh. Yes. Well, what's got to happen? That day will not come. The coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and our being gathered together in him. Have you ever heard of the word rapture? Yeah. Okay. So it's kind of this, you know, he comes, we're gathered together with him. The rapture. Harp hard, so is the Greek word. That day will not come unless, unless. So wait a minute. If something has to happen first, that means that he can't just come right now. Well, let's read what's got to happen. For that day will not come. That day when Christ comes and gathers us to himself, it will not come unless the, what is the word? Apostasy. What a weird word. Apostasy comes first. What is the apostasy? That is the great rebellion, the abandonment of the faith by who? All right, so this is saying that before Christ returns, there is going to be a massive exodus of those that once said they were Christians. Something's going to happen. Something's going to occur that is so dramatic, so impactful, that in mass, churches are emptied out. And people that once would have identified themselves as Christians, as Christ followers, will walk away from Christ. And that is going to happen before Jesus returns. We read it. I didn't impose the idea on you. We're just reading scripture. We're just letting God teach us from his word. It goes on. Something else has to happen. First the apostasy and, and this, this also, and the man of lawlessness 
is revealed. Well, who's this man of lawlessness? The son of destruction, the who? The Antichrist, the one who is destined to be destroyed. Two things have to happen before Jesus is going to come. We just read it with our own eyes. There's going to be this mass exodus of those that look to be Christians. And the Antichrist is going to be revealed, which means he's going to be on the public stage of the world. And people are going to know this entity. Let's go on. Talking more about this Antichrist now. Let's learn about him who opposes and exalts himself so proudly and so insolently above every so-called God or object of worship so that he actually enters and takes his seat where? Now we got a third thing. First of all, there's got to be this apostasy. Second of all, the Antichrist has got to come and then he's got to go into the temple of God. Is there a temple of God today? No. There are two groups very prepared to rebuild the temple in Jerusalem, but they haven't built it yet. So therefore, that's one more thing that has to occur before Christ will return, the building of the temple, because you can't take a seat in the temple if there's no temple. Now, he could stand up on the holy place. I will grant that, but it doesn't sound like that. He'll sit in the seat of the temple publicly proclaiming that he himself is who? Has that ever happened? Has anybody ever sat in the Jewish temple that doesn't exist today, it hasn't existed since 70 AD when it was torn down by Titus, a Roman general, and said to the world, I'm your creator. That hasn't happened. The Bible, not some, <laughs> not some Christian writer, says those three things have to happen before Jesus returns. So for all of you that have read a lot of Christian books about Jesus could come at any minute, Please consider reading the Bible. It's better than the Christian writers, okay? So let, let's, let's, so he's warning about deception. Now, that's deception that's dangerous from inside the church. There's dangerous teaching inside the church that Jesus could come at any second, any moment. And that's just not true. That, that's, that's so far from being true. We have multiple, multiple signs given all through the New Testament Signs that must occur before Christ will return. All right, let's take it to the outside. And there's a connective here. Uh, dangerous from the outside of God's church because the inside is going to become the outside. When this entity finally appears and claims to be our creator, it goes past the church now. Now the dimension is, is global. It's going to affect everyone at this point who happens to be alive at that time. Let's look. I'm just picking the passage up right where we left off. We're right back in 2 Thessalonians. This is the very next verse. The arrival, arrival of the lawless one will be by Satan's working with all kinds of miracles and signs and false wonders. Those terms that are used there, they are the exact same terms that are used for Jesus' miracles. You've got to get some pictures. This individual that's going to claim to be our creator is going to have evidence that everything that Jesus did. I mean, Jesus could manipulate atoms and molecules and, and you know, just with pure thought, heal diseases and things. He, he could, with words, stop a storm. He could walk on water. He could defy the, the laws of physics. This individual is going to be able to do all those things. Therefore, his claim to be our creator is going to be pretty compelling. We don't see people like that every day. Most of the people who claim to be God, they're, they're in an insane asylum somewhere because they, they, have, they have nothing to convince that they have anything other than what ordinary people have. But this individual is going to have all the miracle working power. You've got to hear this, that Jesus demonstrated. And with every kind of evil, what is the word? Deception. Deception directed against those who are perishing well, why are these people perishing? Because they found no place in their hearts for the truth so as to be saved. So when this great deception occurs, it's only going to deceive those who have blocked God out from their heart. When they heard the truth about God as it's revealed in Christ, they maybe treated it as, oh, that's interesting, or I could care less, or if that's what floats your boat, but at any rate, they are the ones that are going to be deceived. When this entity appears on earth and does dramatic miracles like Jesus did and claims 
in a rebuilt temple that they are the one that created life on our planet it's going to have impact because it's going to be occurring at a time where great great turmoil is occurring on earth let me show you another scripture I'm going to show you what, what happens. This arrival of the lawless one, which we now read was the Antichrist. This is a heavenly viewpoint, vantage point of it. Revelation 12, 9, it says, And the great dragon was thrown down. Who in the heck is the dragon? Well, let's read on. The age-old serpent. Well, who's the serpent? Who is called, what does it say? The devil and Satan. See how the Bible is a self-interpreting book if you just read it you know, carefully? And about him, he who continually does what? Deceives and seduces the entire inhabited world. He was thrown down, forced down to where? The earth. And his angels were thrown down with him. When this entity arrives on earth, it says here the arrival, and claims to be our creator, the entity is not going to be alone. The entity is going to be accompanied by his rebellious angels. Now, when they arrive on earth, um, is he going to say, well, you know, greetings and salutations. I am Satan. These are my boys. Our time is short. We want to deceive you. We want to debilitate you. And we want to destroy you. So... Can we have a conversation? <laughs> I have this idea. I'd like the whole world, since it's in such turmoil, to all join in an equal distribution system. You can read about this equal distribution system in Revelation chapter 13, in which everybody will be able to buy what they need, get what they need, have food to eat, have shelter, only if, only if you give your allegiance to me and my boys, and we'll take care of you. You'll eat well when nobody else can eat. Uh, yeah, you got to have a code, got to have a mark either on your hand or your forehead because, you know, we're, we're going to do everything digitally these days, man. We're, we're all about high tech. You can see we came high tech and we're about high tech, but they're not going to tell you that. They're, they're going to come and they say, we're, we're here to save you. We're here to rescue. Listen, we, we planted life on your planet. We go around the universe doing this. We start life and we watch it develop and we watch it evolve and we interact with it periodically, but we try to just let people evolve and grow naturally. But you guys are in a terrible time of trouble. There's all these, these earthquakes and there's all these wars going on. I mean, the thing is, is when you read Revelation chapter 6 in the opening of of the seals when you get to the fourth seal war has engulfed the earth to the point that one-fourth of the earth's population is destroyed by war by famine that comes from war and by disease so, so these are going to be the conditions on earth when these individuals arrive when they're forced to the earth they come as our saviors they come as our Christ's they come as our messiahs. You say, Randy, where do you get all that, man? Where? Let me show you the next passage. Matthew 24, and you all, all should study Matthew 24, where Jesus gives multiple signs that will occur before his return. Jesus talking, he says, where well, at that time there will be a great what? Tribulation. Pressure, distress, oppression. Such as has not occurred since the beginning of the world until now, nor ever will again. Why? Why, Jesus? For false, what does it say? False Christ and false prophets will appear. Satan and his angels are thrown down to earth, forced down to earth. They appear. They reveal themselves. Comes into the temple claiming to be our creator. And they will provide great signs and wonders. How impressive will the signs and wonders be? So as to what? Deceive if possible even the elect, that is God's chosen ones. That means Christians. So we started this out by asking the question, when I gave you all that spiritual sounding dribble at the beginning of the message, you know, did you know it was dribble or were you kind of rolling right with what I said? Because that gives you some measure of how easy it'll be to, to deceive you, how easily deceived we could be. So let's picture some. I'm going to give you one scenario. I've shared this before. This is not necessarily the exact way the scenario is going to go down, but picture this. We have been set up for this for about 70 years now. 
the whole UFO extraterrestrial thing, our government about three years ago acknowledged they're real. We don't know what they are. We don't know where they come from. We don't know how they do what they do. Our government, our Pentagon acknowledged that. That's the setup. These entities, when they are forced down, they are going to come down here saying that they planted and seeded life on our planet. One of them will probably say, I was chief of the project, so technically I'm your creator. I was here a couple thousand years ago. You called me Jesus. I did miracles and things, but it's just because we know the laws of physics. We understand technology in ways you guys don't yet understand it. But we're back here now to rescue you, to save you, because your planet is going through a time of great turmoil. There's war. There's death. There's disease. If you read the book of Revelation, you'll know there's going to be other things, astronomical phenomenon probably a, a, a comet strike or you know something like unto it lots of phenomenon that puts the whole planet in danger so they come and they say we are your your rescuers we are your that's what christ means we are your saviors and they say listen your religions all of you guys all your religious writings the reason they're so diverse is because we've interacted with you in a small way and so you each have a little picture of us, but it's us that is the truth. And yeah, like I say, I was here before you called me Jesus, but now I'm back again, and technically I am your creator. I created life on your planet. So now, to save you guys, I need you all to join in this one economic system. Forsake all your religious affiliations, because that's just dividing you, man, and you need to be united. You need to be the brotherhood of mankind. And here's the really bad news these entities are going to tell us. The really bad news is the universe is full of life. We love you guys. We're here to protect you. But there's another group that we know about. They want to destroy you guys, and we happen to know they're coming. They're on their way. We want to rescue you from them. And you know who the ones that are coming are on their way? It's Jesus in the church. You can read about it in Revelation chapter 19. But there are these entities, and I keep calling them entities because I want you to think Think angel, alien. Think, they're same deal, same thing, because these things are not going to come saying we're angels. They're going to come saying we are other life forms. The universe is full of life, which is true. The Bible reveals that. Now, I'm giving you a, a version, a form that it could take, and I'm taking a risk. You can think me crazy, and I could turn out to be totally wrong about this. I'm okay with that. I'd rather you be warned, and I'd rather you be informed than to be completely blindsided by something that's going, to, it's going to be so difficult because when these entities appear and they're loving and they're kind and they're doing miracles and healing miracles and things, I know most of you in here are going to at least be shaky because it says it almost, it almost deceives even the real Christians. Now, I'm going to close with a couple of thoughts. Here we are. So how can we overcome these educational dangers and remain steadfast in our devotion to Christ? How? How can we know that we won't be deceived? Because we know there's going to be this mass exodus. And the reason the exodus is going to occur is these entities are going to say, we're your creators, now you know the truth. All your world religions are just small shots of us, but now you know we're the ones. And mass exodus is going to occur. Here's how. 2 Timothy 3.16 it says, all scripture is inspired by God, and it's useful to teach us what is true. We need to know about reality, and only God can give us uh, an accurate picture of reality, and he's done that in his word. And to make us realize what is wrong in our lives, it corrects us when we're wrong, and it teaches us to do what is right. When this deception comes, we're, we're going to need to know what is right, and what is right is going to be that some of us may have to lay down our lives rather than forsake Christ. The Bible is quite honest about that. God uses it to prepare and equip his people to do every good work. If I know the truth, I will know a counterfeit, but I've got to be saturated with the truth because the counterfeit is going to be very, very compelling. It is not going to be easy. So, last thought. Do your best to present God... You present yourself to God as one approved, a worker who has no need to be ashamed, rightly, rightly handling the word of truth. There's no shortcuts to that. There's no easy path. We, we are constantly pleading and giving opportunities for all of you to study the word of God for yourself, to internalize it. Uh, we offer numerous classes and things, but, but I can't do this for you. You can only do this for yourself. Here's what happens if we don't. Dangers to steadfastness, once deceived, 
Once deceived, either whether it's, you know, through bad teaching now or the massive deception to come, it starts to debilitate us. It starts to shut down capacities, God-given capacities, whether we know it or whether we don't know it, the damage is being done. And it ultimately leads to destruction. Uh, So will it be in this final, you know, final end-time generation. Here's what we want to do. We want this cycle. If we have discernment, and discernment comes from knowing God's Word personally and thoroughly, then we grow, we develop, we are becoming, in spite of circumstances, more Christ-like every day. And then we can deploy in service to God, service to others, telling people the truth about God, the truth about life. And it's going to be critical when this great deception comes that God has his people that know the truth, that will speak out about the truth, that will warn others, that will plead with others not to be deceived. So... If you were to evaluate yourself on how deceivable you are based on your knowledge, your firsthand study of God's Word, how deceivable would you be? Because, I'm going to say something, and and, uh, I want to be really clear about this. I am not setting a date. I'm not setting dates or anything like that, but I am going to say something to you. I've been thinking about this for days, been praying about it, whether I should or not, and I'm just going to say it. Here's my plea to you, that you will very, very carefully watch world events the year 2023 through 2030. And then if we get through that, okay, then watch very carefully the next seven-year period. I can't explain all this now, but God works in sabbatical cycles of years, and there is good reason to believe that these next seven years or the seven years after that could be critical. Now, we will know because things will start to come unhinged on a global scale. So I'm not trying to scare anybody. I'm not trying to alarm anybody. I'm not setting dates. I could be wrong, but I have reason to at least share this with you. You need to be aware. Watch the next seven years, and then if we get through those, watch the next seven years after that. Um, I could spend hours trying to tell you why that could be the critical time period, but it, it might not be. But I hope you all know, I believe with all my heart and have since age 23, uh, and first learning about, you know, the end of the age and Christ's return, we're the generation, make no mistake. We may not all live to see it, but most of us will. And God wants us to be ready. He wants us to be equipped. He wants us to be prepared. And that's part of what this message is about. The whole series, frankly, was because I wanted to do this message with you. It, it, to me, is probably the most important one, um, perhaps that you'll ever get, that I'll ever share with you. So, how deceivable are we? Don't go by your gut. Your gut is not trustworthy. Don't think you can't be deceived. You best internalize God's truth. That is the one and the only shield that will defend us when the deception is on Let's pray. Father, you see us all. You see our hearts. You certainly brought us here out of love to enlighten us, to uh, awaken us. Maybe that that we need to, first of all, put our trust in Christ, become his follower. Maybe that some of us just need to really become serious about uh, studying your word. Help us. Help us to re-evaluate our lives the way we prioritize our time that we will do now, but we'd be glad we did should we be that generation. It's in Christ's name I pray. Amen.